0: Does anybody remember how far Chris got last week, or I don't want to just re recover everything, but um basically the first page is what he did okay, so basically here's here's what I'm trying to accomplish with this lesson. Um, I really want us to have confidence because. Our sole authority here in this church is the Word of God. Everything we do backs up and the Word of God confirms it. The Word of God leads us, guides us. Anything contrary to the Word of God, we do not accept it. We do not follow it. The reason that's so important is because years ago, before the Reformation started in, say, the 1500s, you had a... um, a denomination, and basically it was the Roman Catholic, not just Catholic, but the Roman Catholic denomination that um, they believed in the authority of the Pope. They believed in the authority of the tradition of the church. And they believed that both of those were equal to the authority of Scripture. So for instance, if, um, if the Pope decided that um, the way you were going to get forgiveness for this particular sin was that you were going to have to pay this amount of money. Now does the Scripture say that's how you get forgiveness for your sins? But they believe that the Pope had equal authority with the Scriptures. So even if the Pope commanded something that did not um, equate to what the Scriptures teaches, then it was the authority of God in the church. For instance, if um, the church had a tradition that they had developed over time, Even if that tradition did not come into accordance with Scripture, then that church tradition was equal in authority to the Scriptures. One of the things that we developed out of the Reformation is what we call sola scriptura, and it's basically Latin for Scripture alone. It means that there is only one authority in our life, and that is the Word of God. And you remember, um, if, if Chris went over it last week, I'm sure he did, is that this is where the first fall of man took place. In Genesis chapter 3, you saw Adam and Eve, and the reason they fell is because they did not believe the Word of God. God had told them very plainly, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but if you eat from this tree, what will happen? You will die. Satan comes along and questions the Word of God. He says... Did God really say that if you? And this is what Satan always does. Um, Satan always comes in and questions the Word of God. It's what he did to Jesus in the garden. It's how he always comes along. It's probably how you fall into all of your temptations. He'll look at you and he'll say, "You know, really, this is not something that God really has a problem with." Because and you find ways to justify the sin in your life. Do you not? Come on. I mean, this is what we do. And it's because Satan is always trying to find a way to throw shade on the Word of God. Well, that's what he did in the garden. And because Adam and Eve did not trust the Word of God as the sole authority for their life and for their obedience in this life, because they did not trust it, they fell into sin. And look where we're at today. Here we are simply because they did not trust the Word of God. And so we want to make sure that there, there are all kinds of books out there that claim to be the Word of God. Muslims claim that the Koran is the Word of God, right? All right. Uh, Mormons claim that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Jehovah's Witness claim that the Watchtower and, and the writings that come through that are the Word of God. And so ultimately... We have to, because our eternal life is at stake on this, right? And so we have to answer the question, is this Bible that we put all of our faith and all of our trust in, is this the Word of God? And do we just blindly believe it? Do we just believe it because that's what mom and daddy always taught us? Or do we see the evidence and do we know for certain that there is evidence to say, this is the Word of God, and I bank my eternity on it. That's a pretty important answer. A question we have to answer. Wouldn't you agree? And so I tell you today, I don't want you to blindly follow this thing. If, if, and and it's going to sound bad coming from a preacher, but I'm just telling you the truth. If you cannot find enough evidence to support that this is the Word of God, you're wasting your time. That's just the truth of it. But if when we go through this, you can find enough evidence to say, yes, this is the Word of God. Um, God has protected it. It is perfect. It is unfallible. It is unadulterated in all its ways. It is truth. It is pure. It is all of those things, and I can model my life by it. I can be obedient to it. I can follow it. Then you can be secure in your faith. But let me tell you something. There are a lot of people today that the only reason they're secure in their faith is because they were raised in this thing. There are a lot of Muslims that are the same way, right? There are a lot of Mormons that are the same way. There are a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses that are the exact same way. So what separates us from them? We need to answer that question. And so you went through the list of questions, I'm sure, last week. Um, Savannah, did y'all get one of these? Okay. Okay. So everybody's got one, right? So you see on the first page, there's a list of questions that we're trying to make sure that we can answer. The first one is, where did the Bible come from? That's a pretty important question, right? Where did it come from? Whose thinking does it reflect? Is this just some wise men that prayed to a God and this is the words that they wrote down and it just reflects their thinking? Or is this God speaking every single word of this to mankind? Um, next question, did any books of the Bible get lost in time past? Pretty good question, right? Because there are books today that are in other Bibles. Um, the book of Enoch, uh, the, the book of um, Wisdom, the book of um, Baal and the Dragon. Um, there, are, there are many books uh, that, that are in other Bibles that are not in your Bible. And so... Is there books that have gotten lost over the time that we should be looking at? That's a good question to answer, right? And then the next question, what does the Scripture claim for itself? So what does Scripture say about itself? Because if this is our sole authority, we want to know what does Scripture say about Scripture and, what, and how we should live our lives after it. And then, does it live up to its claims? So I, I, I don't want circular reasoning. And you all know what I mean by circular reasoning, right? I don't want to just say, okay, well, the Bible says the Bible is this, so that's why I believe it. Does that really make sense? Because what if the Quran says that this is what the Koran is? Should we believe that? So does it back up the claims that it gives for itself? That's the question we have to answer. Who wrote the Bible, God or man? Um, has Scripture been protected from human tampering over the centuries? That's a good question, right? That's a very good question. I had a friend of mine that's no longer with us today, but um, when I would talk to him about the Bible, his his words to me all the time were, that book has been through too many human hands. You can't trust it today. And let's be honest, 2,000 years going through human hands, it almost sounds legitimate, right? So, Can we answer the question, has Scripture been protected from human tampering over over the years? And then how close to the original manuscripts are today's translations? Because, you know, y'all ever played the game? Uh, You ever seen the game played where you whisper something to one person and then that person whispers it and by the time it gets to the very last person, what have you got? That's right. And so as it's been handed down, how do we know that the Bible hasn't done the same thing? So that's a good question that we need to answer. Um, Is there more Scripture to come beyond the current 66 books? So why, why, why does our Word of God stop with revelation? I mean, Joseph Smith said he got the Book of Mormon. He said he got revelation from God from an angel, and he wrote the Book of Mormon. So how do we know he didn't? Good question, right? All right, so we're going to answer those things through this study. The next thing... Who determined and on what basis that the Bible would be composed of the traditional list of 66 books? So who made that decision that this is your Bible and these are the books? Because there have been many books written, many books written over the ages. All right, And so who decided that these books are the ones that your Bible would be composed of? Next, if the Scriptures were written over a period of 1,500 years, passed down since then for almost 2,000 years, And translated into several thousand languages, what prevented the Bible from being changed by the carelessness or ill motives of men? And then finally, does today's Bible really deserve the title, the Word of God? Now, it may sound to you right now that I'm trying to talk you out of it, don't it? But I wouldn't be asking these questions if I didn't think I could give you the answers to them. And I do know that we can. And you are going to get those answers as we go through this study. But we want to make sure that we answer these questions. So undoubtedly, these questions have bombarded the minds of many. A study of the Scriptures alone settles all the questions to the extent that there is no need to be bothered by them again. And Scripture will give this assurance. And then again, um, if you went through the Scripture, self-claims for yourself, you'll remember that basically from the beginning to the end, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, "...and God said, let there be light." So how do we know that Genesis is the Word of God? Because the Bible claims that God said, and this is what was being written down, is what God said, this is what God was doing. And, so, and then in Malachi, the same thing. If you were to go to Malachi 4, 3, you'll see, "...thus says the Lord." So whenever we would get to a certain part of the Scripture, it wouldn't just say, Thus says Malachi, or Thus says Isaiah, or Thus says Ezekiel. It would say, Thus says the Lord. And so now we've got to answer the question, How do we know that we can trust Isaiah and Malachi and Ezekiel and so on, that it was the Lord? But from beginning to end, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Um You'll notice at the top of page 2, the phrase the Word of God occurs over 40 times in the New Testament. So there again, just like the Old Testament, there's very plainly when the apostles teach, they would say, and there were many times that Paul would say when he was writing, this is from the Lord. And then there were times that he would answer a question that the church was concerned about and he would say, this is from me, this is not from the Lord. So the apostles were very careful to make sure when they wrote the letters to the churches that they differentiated between what was the word of the Lord and what was what they were saying. Um, and that's important, right? Because we don't want to trust man's word. You don't want to trust me. Trust me. <laughs> I'm not the guy you want to trust. Um, you want to make sure that what I'm telling you is thus says the Lord. And if I can't point to you to show you thus says the Lord, do not believe me, do not trust me, do not follow my teaching. I'll tell you that tonight. All right. And so it says that it is equated with the Old Testament, and you can find that in Mark chapter 7, verse 13 if you wanted to look that up. I'm not going to look them all up tonight. You can do that at home. It is what Jesus preached in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And basically Jesus says... Um, the Word of God, and he is preaching from Isaiah and the Old Testament Scriptures. So it's what Jesus preached. It was the message that the apostles taught. Again, and you can read that. When you read these Scriptures, it'll say the Word of the Lord. It was the Word the Samaritans received. They received the Word of God as given by the apostles in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. It was the message the Gentiles received as preached by Peter. It was the word Paul preached on his first missionary journey. It was the message Paul preached on Paul's second missionary journey. It was the message Paul preached on his third missionary journey. And so here's what you're seeing in this. The apostles, the New Testament that we have today, is nothing more than the, the apostles preaching the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? So when we study Romans, when we study Galatians, when we study Hebrews, all those apostles were doing were teaching you the Old Testament in light of Jesus fulfilling it. And so that's all they're doing is they're teaching the Word of God, but this is how Jesus fulfilled it and this is why we follow Him today. And then it says, It was the focus of Luke in the book of Acts in that it spread rapidly and widely. And that's what it says, the Word of God spread rapidly and widely. And in those scriptures there listed. Paul was careful to tell the Corinthians that he spoke the Word as it was given from God, that it had not been adulterated, and that it was a manifestation of the truth. And so again, Paul said very plainly as an apostle of the Lord Jesus that the Word of God is given from God. So that's the claim that Scripture makes about itself. Another claim Scripture makes is that it had not been adulterated. So when Paul gave it, how old was the Scripture at that point? It was close to fifteen hundred years old. So in fifteen hundred years, could the Scripture become adulterated? You better believe it could have. But Paul looked at it, and, and Paul's claim for the Scriptures that it was in, in fifteen hundred years it could still and should still be trusted. All right. And then he goes on, he says that it was the manifestation of truth. Paul acknowledged that it was the source of his preaching. And again, you can go home and you can read, and I encourage you to go home and look at those scriptures and see, does it say what this study is telling you that it says? Next, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 Plus Proverbs 30 verse 5 through 6 make powerful statements about God's Word which set it apart from any other religious instruction ever known in the history of mankind. And I'll just give you the summary of that. All of those scriptures say things like this. The law of the Lord and the Word of God is perfect. It says it is sure. It says it is right. It says it is pure. That means that it's, there's no error in it whatsoever. It says that it's clean. It says that it's true. And so those are the claims that Scripture makes about itself. Now that's some pretty bold claims, right? A bold claim to say that it is right, it is the only truth, it is the only thing without error. It is pure. Pure than gold refined by fire is what it says. So that's a claim that it makes. These passages make the case for the Bible being called sacred writings and holy writings. And you can read those in 2 Timothy 3.15 and Romans 1.2. The Bible claims, and these are claims the Bible makes, the Bible claims ultimate spiritual authority in doctrine, in reproof, in correction, in instruction, in righteousness. So that's a claim that it makes, that if you will follow this Word of God, that you'll be correct in doctrine, that you'll be correct in reproving when you need reproof, that you'll be corrected when you need correction, and that you'll be instructed in righteousness. So that's a bold claim, because there's nothing else in this world that can do that. And then it says, Scripture asserts its spiritual sufficiency. What does sufficiency mean? It's all you need. So the Scripture claims that the Scriptures are all you need. So you don't need some external revelation, You don't need some new prophet out here giving you some dream or vision that they've had. The Scriptures are sufficient. Now that Christ has come, and we'll see this from the Scripture here in a minute, but now that Christ has come, Christ has given you everything you need that pertains to righteousness. Before Christ came... You needed prophets. You needed dreams, visions. God spoke through burning bushes. God came down in clouds on mountains. God came down in pillars of fire. Um, God uh, spoke to people through angelic visits. Uh, God spoke to people through um, donkeys. Y'all remember that? Um, There were many ways that God spoke to people. But go with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter one and verse one. Notice it says, "Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets." All right, so back long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to the people of God, through the prophets of God. You see what I'm saying? But now notice what it says next. What's the first word of verse 2? But in these last days He has what? He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of what? All things. Jesus ain't going to leave nothing out that you need. And then notice, not, notice how He's able to do that. Through whom also He what? He created everything that is. And so ultimately here you have God the Creator in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, and He is spoken to us, He has spoken to all of God's people, and all the apostles are doing, are taking what Jesus commissioned them to do, preach the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus fulfilling everything the prophets prophesied. And so we have the Old Testament, which was the way God spoke through the prophets. You have the New Testament, which was Jesus giving us the Word of God, and the apostles teaching what Jesus taught them. And so that is your Bible. This is why... I believe this one Scripture, and I can show you many more, but I believe this one Scripture is sufficient to say to you, you don't need anything else except for the Bible, which are the prophecies of old that God spoke and the Word of God through the Son that Jesus spoke. The Scriptures are sufficient for us. We don't need another testament of Jesus Christ, as the Book of Mormon claims, we don't need a prophecy from the watchtower as the Jehovah's Witness claim. We don't need the, the book of the Koran or the Torah. or we, we have everything that God gave when He spoke to mankind and everything needed for uh, to instruct us and correct us and to give us instruction in righteousness. And so that's the Bible's claim on itself. And now the next part on your study... God's Word declares that it is inerrant, that it does not have error. So the Word of God claims in and of itself that it is without error. And you can read those from... um, Actually, just look at the second one. Look at Psalm 119 verse 140. And this is one, there's other scriptures that you can look at and see what it says. But Psalm 119, verse 140. And it reads a little different in the English Standard Translation. Uh, I don't know if anybody in here has a King James or not. But, um, but it, it's still the same no matter, how you, no matter how you translate it. Psalm 119, verse 140 says... Your promise is well tried. The King James, the New King James, and I think even the New American Standard maybe says it to these words. It says, your word is very pure. In other words, pure. what does pure mean? If you've got pure gold, what is pure gold? Without blemish, without flaws. There's, there's nothing wrong in it. And that's exactly what he's saying right here in Psalm 140 when he says, your promise is well tried. In other words, it's been, it's been through the furnace of affliction. Um, there has been no slag that came to the top to wipe away. It is pure as pure gets. And you could also find that in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 as well. Proverbs 30, verse 5, at the first part of it. John 10, 35. So it declares that it is inerrant. It declares that it's infallible. It, 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 that it cannot fail, that it does not make mistakes. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. In other words, it is true and it is therefore trustworthy. All of these qualities are dependent on the fact that the Scriptures are God-given. And that's exactly what Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3. He said, all Scripture was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 said that the Word of God was given by the prophets of old as the Holy Spirit moved in them and they wrote what God spoke to them. And so if it is the Word of God speaking to them, shouldn't the Word be pure? So this claim Scripture makes, if it's truly the Word of God, that should be true. All right, keep reading with me in the next paragraph. In Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated so much so that whatever is true about the character of God is true about the nature of God's Word. God is true, impeccable, and reliable. Therefore, so is His Word. What a person thinks about God's Word in reality reflects what a person thinks about God. Thus the Scripture can make these demands on its readers. And here are the two demands that the Scripture can make. Now remember, this is based on the fact that it is pure, unadulterated, it is true, it is good. only thing that can lead you in righteousness and correction. Based on all of those claims, this is what demand the Scripture makes on its people. Um, the first one, "...so He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know." Why did He do this? that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So here's the point of that. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. The reason why God allowed the Israelites to hunger through the wilderness and He only fed them what was sufficient for each day. You remember what would happen if they tried to collect more than enough for just that day? It turned to worms. worms. God allowed them to only eat so much, to only collect so much food. Why? Because He was teaching them that they had to rely on Him day after day after day. That's something me and you could take a lesson from, couldn't we? You know, it's it's one thing to be blessed by God, and I'm so thankful that I am. But most of the time, that blessing from God keeps me from relying on Him day after day after day. And I'll get up every day and I'll never look to Him and actually understand that unless He gives me what I need that day, I'm not going to be sustained by it. Not only that, but unless I follow Him in obedience, then I'm not going to live because that's where life comes from is by staying with Him, right? It was whenever Adam and Eve disconnected themselves from the source of life through sin... They separated themselves from God. And if you separate yourself from the source of life, let me ask you this, if I go over there and that Christmas tree were plugged up and it were lit up and it were beautiful, but I went over there and unplugged it, what would happen? It'd go out, right? Why? I took away its source. We have to understand, all source of life comes from God. And so ultimately, we don't live by bread alone. Now notice, he didn't say that we don't live by bread, because how many of you know you live by bread? But you don't live by bread alone. No, you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how you live. Why? Because His Word is true. It's pure. It instructs you in righteousness. It reproves you. It corrects you. Y'all following me? So... It can demand that you live your life by every word of this, of this word because of the claims that it makes for itself. What's the next claim? I have not departed from the commandment of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Job 23 verse 12. What demand is that making? More important than your breakfast, dinner, and supper, right? How many of y'all, if you don't have breakfast by a certain time in the morning, you go weak and you can't get through, you start or, or, or you know, and now like me, I do find through the breakfast and through dinner, I can go without all day long. Sometimes I won't drink nothing but a cup of coffee all day. But by the time, supper time gets here, I need something to eat. I need some substance. And what he's saying here is the Word of God says that It is more important than your necessary food. In other words, there's nothing more important than the Word of God in your life. All right. so next let's look at the publishing process. How did we get this Word? How did it come to be the Word of God? The Bible does not expect its reader to speculate on how these divine qualities were transferred from God to His Word. But rather, the Bible anticipates the questions with convincing answers. Every generation of skeptics has assailed the self-claims of the Bible, but its own explanations and answers have been more than equal to the challenge. The Bible has gone through God's publishing process in being given to and distributed among the human race. Its several features are discussed below. So here are the pro- here's the process and the steps of how we got the Bible. The first step came through Revelation. This is how you got the Bible. Let's look and see what it says. God took the initiative to disclose or reveal Himself to mankind. Hebrews 1 1. And I read that to you a minute ago. Long a time, long ago, in many ways and many times, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Many ways. All right, so that's how the word of God got to us first time. Let me ask you a question, though. How do we know? that we can trust those prophets? Because there's still prophets today that are claiming God is giving them revelation. How do we know which prophets to trust? Where Do you you know where we find that at? Deuteronomy chapter 18. You're dead on. Y'all go with me there. And this is important too because I've been dealing with somebody here lately that does that I'm guiding them through the scriptures in something that that is in their life that don't belong and yet they don't trust my teaching, they don't trust the Bible, the translation, they don't trust. So all these things I'm talking about, they don't trust. And so I'm having to go through this very same thing to explain to them why they should trust the Bible in every detail of it. But Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we will start in verse, um, in verse 18. And he's talking about Moses here when he, when in the context. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Here's the answer. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. Now here's what's important. This is where the, the, the future telling part of prophecy comes in. Now prophecy in and of itself is not future telling. Prophecy in and of itself is forth telling. What do I mean by forth They simply take what God told them and they give it to you. But in order for you to know who was a true prophet from God and who was truly deity, they would give you future events that was going to take place. Y'all know what we've been studying in Isaiah here lately? All of those things about the Assyrians destroying Israel, all of those things about the Babylonians taking Judah into captivity, all of those things happened. Isaiah prophesied them more than a hundred years before they actually took place. You say, well, how do you know that? The Assyrians have their own history book too, not the Bible. But the king that you read about in, in Isaiah, in 1 and 2 Kings and First and 2 Chronicles, that king, Sennacherib, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he also has records that you can still go today, I think they're in Germany or Russia maybe, But they're in a museum over there that you can go, and if you can translate it from the Assyrian language, you can read the same biblical accounts that took place in the Bible. And Isaiah prophesied these things 100 years before these things ever took place. The point being is that even archaeology today still proves the events that the prophets prophesied over and over again through the Old Testament. Everything they said would happen, happened. And not just happened, it happened exactly the way they said it would happen. And so history, not just the Bible, but your history books that you have will tell the stories that back up the Bible. And then archaeology that is being dug up today is still telling those stories over and over again. Go home and look up the story of Nineveh, and then go back and, and, or go back and look up the archaeology of Nineveh, and then go back and look at... Um, uh, the books of Nahum and the destruction of, of Nineveh and, and how it was going to come to pass and look at what archaeology proves to us today. Or, uh, and I could go on and on about this. But there, are so, there is so much evidence to support that what the prophet said happened exactly the way the prophet said would happen. And God said, the way you're going to know that a prophet is from me, when he speaks the word and it comes to pass like I said it would, you better trust him. You better believe him. And so this is the reason why we trust. We know that these prophets that we have in the Old Testament were tried and they were found to be true. And because they were found to be true prophets of God, and not just found to be true just because they spoke things in existence, they did it with signs and wonders, with the power of God. They raised the dead. They, they um, Elijah, what did he do? He, the widow was running out of oil. He said, go get some, some buckets from your neighbor. He said, keep pouring. She poured, filled this bucket up, this bucket up, this bucket I mean, they did things that, signs and wonders that no one else but the power of God could do and proved over and over. When Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for, what was it? Was it seven years, I think, or three and a half years maybe? I can't remember how much it was. But for however long he prayed, it did not rain. And then the moment that he stood up and prayed for rain, guess what happened? It rained. Um, I mean, I could go over and over how these prophets that we have today were tried and they were found to be true prophets of God. They all agreed together, were in accordance with each other. Um, Over a period of 1,500 years, these writers wrote, Moses did not live in the same time as Isaiah or Ezekiel or Joel or Nahum or Habakkuk or Obadiah, or Jonah, I mean... They didn't live in their same time periods and yet their prophecies were right there with each other. The same way with the New Testament. Um, they, the, it, the, the Bible agrees from front to back. It, it interprets itself all the way through and yet it was written over so many different authors, over so many different years, and even over so many different continents is, is how this thing was put together. And so that's the proof that we have of the prophets. Prophets. Um, notice what it says in your paragraph on the study thing again. It says, the vehicles varied, in other words, how God revealed Himself. And, and you know, let me say this too. The Bible speaks of two different kinds of God revealing His self. Um, theologians like to, call, like to call them the general revelation of God and the special revelation of God. The general revelation of God would come from scriptures like Psalm chapter 19 that said, The heavens declare the glory of the the Lord. The firmament declares His handiwork. In other words, when the psalmist looked at the stars in the sky and he looked at the mountains and the oceans, he saw God revealed in that, right? Now anybody should be able to see that, right? If you have eyes to see you should be able to have a general revelation about God. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 1. He said that that we are without excuse to not give God honor, even if you've never heard the gospel before. Why? Because His invisible attributes are clearly seen by the things that are made. In other words, when you look at creation, all the things that are made, you see a general revelation about God. You say, well, I don't really understand that. Let me ask you this. I've used this example before. Could I convince you with your common sense that no one built this building? But yet you didn't. some of you didn't see who built it. You didn't see a single nail go in this place. But your common sense would not allow you to believe that this building just popped up on its own, would it? You know if the building exists, you see the evidence of a builder. I remember I had this couple one time that was struggling and the husband was even struggling with his faith. They didn't even know if he even believed in God anymore. And they were coming up to my office to be able to sit down and, and, and we were going to counsel for a little while. Before he got there, I took some peanuts and I have grout, I have tile. So I had the grout in the floor, the lines... And I took these peanuts and I laid them, stacked them in a row, probably about 20 peanuts in a row. Where they walk in at, they would have to step over these peanuts to get in. And so when they walked in, sure enough, they stepped over the peanuts and they sat down on the couch. And I was not going to say anything until they asked me about those peanuts. And so we sit there and we chatted for about five minutes. And finally, he spoke up and he said, Brother Kevin... Why in the world did you put peanuts in the floor like that? And I looked at him and I said, You know, I have never noticed that. And he sat there for a minute and he didn't say anything and he he was real puzzled. He looked back at me and he said, No, really. Why did you put those peanuts in the floor like that? And I said, Brother, I, I have never seen that. I did not know that that was there. This is the first time I've seen this. You are just now pointing that out to me. He said, do you think I'm stupid? I was offending him at this point. He said, do you think I'm stupid? And I said, no, I don't think you're stupid. I said, but I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I see them there, but I don't know how they got there. And he just kind of shook his head. He turned around and he said, somebody put the peanuts in the floor. And I said, why is it so hard for you to believe that peanuts can't land in the floor and just line themselves up like that? He said, because peanuts cannot line themselves up in the floor. And I said, but you're here tonight because you're telling me that you, don't, that you believe that creation can just order itself the way that it is. You don't believe peanuts can stack themselves in a straight line, but you believe these human bodies created the way they were just happened by hap- happenstance. Your common sense will not... General revelation of God is enough for your common sense to go, there is a Creator... I may not know any other revelation about Him, but there is a Creator because the creation exists. The Creator exists. That's general revelation. Special revelation, on the other hand, comes from things like you remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. So here we have God not just revealing Himself through creation, but actually speaking to Moses and telling Moses, this is what I want you to do. This is where you're going to go. This is how you're going to follow me. This is who I am. This is what my name is. This is what I'm going to do for you. And this is what I'm going to do for my people. That's special revelation. Everybody didn't get that, did they? Everybody in the world gets general revelation. But only certain people got special revelations, and that was through the prophets of old. All right, y'all tracking with me? So, uh, and I could go on and on and on um, through that, but um, I'm not Exodus thirty-four five through seven, Genesis twenty-eight verse twelve, Genesis thirty-seven verse five, Genesis fifteen verse one, Second Corinthians twelve verse one. You could look at all of those, and it'll be on the. Uh, the video on YouTube if you want to go back and be able to stop and pause it and look through those. But the point being is that God has always revealed Himself in both general revelation and specific special revelation. We get that special revelation from the prophets. Another place we get that from is from Jesus Christ Himself. Um, Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse um, 3 through 4. Actually, start in verse 2. Hebrews chapter 2, start in verse 2. For the message declared by angels, and here we're talking about the Mosaic Law, um, the Jews believed that angels on Mount Sinai actually gave the message to Moses, but it's still the Word of God that came. However, God chose to d- deliver it. That's how it came. But it proved to be what? Reliable. Reliable. All right. So again... It proved, the Old Testament has proven to be reliable. History has proven it. Signs and wonders has proven it. Everything has proven. God did not just give them this word and say, I just expect you to believe it without any evidence. No. The people that, you remember the uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel? He said, okay, we're going to figure out who the true God is. Y'all remember that? And they had this little battle, if you will. And... God was the one that proved to be true when fire called down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice. And if you've been in church any length of time, you remember that story. But again, it was proven that you could rely on the Word of God in the Old Testament. Well, let's keep reading in verse, um, verse 2. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. All right. So again, if, if you did this sin, then this was the punishment for it according to the Old Testament law. Verse 3, how then shall we escape punishment if we neglect such a great salvation? And here it's talking about the Word of Jesus Christ. Because look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Not the old message, but the new message. The old way is the way God spoke to us through the prophets. And that was good and it was reliable. But now we're listening to how He has spoken to us through His Son, right? And so now notice what He says in verse 3. How shall we escape the punishment if we neglect what we've heard, the great salvation? Notice what He says about the Word of Jesus. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Here we got the apostles, all right? That's how, so we got it first from Jesus. Then we got it from the apostles that walked with Jesus. And then notice what it says in verse 4. How do we know we can trust Jesus and the apostles? While God also bore witness by what? Signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Here's the point. How do we know that we can trust Jesus' word? Because we've seen the prophets. They were proven. How do we know we can trust Jesus and the apostles? Well, Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, if you don't believe my word, believe the works. Let's look at John chapter 10 verse 38. Gospel of John chapter 10 verse 38. And start in verse... um, Start in verse 37. And they accused him of blaspheming because he said he was the Son of God. But look at what he said, his response to them in verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. (laughs) I like that. But if I do them, do what? The works. If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe what? In other words, Jesus did not come here and just say, Hey, I'm the Son of God, believe in me. Jesus came here and proved it. That's what the whole Gospel of John is about. The whole Gospel of John are about the works and the signs that He did so that you might believe that He was the Son of God. And so... What, Hebrews, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that you can believe the prophets of old because it proved to be reliable and you can believe Jesus and what He has told us because He proved that He was reliable. You remember what the, the disciples said about Jesus? They said, who in the world is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? They'd never seen anything like that before. Who is this that even the winds and waves? The Roman centurion said, Lord, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word and my son will come back to life. Just say the word. And sure enough, on the way home, his servant met him and said, your son's alive. He said, what time did this happen? And the servant told him the time. And the servant knew that was the time that Jesus said, go your way, your son will live. And so you know, there I could go on and on and on again. When Jesus takes uh, two fish and five loaves and feeds five thousand, and has twelve basketfuls left over, I mean, he proved over and over and over again. When Lazarus was dead, he waited four days, four days, so that everybody knew he wasn't playing possum. <laughs> and Jesus got there, and he said, "Lazarus, come forth!" And what did Lazarus do? And he looked at Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Do you believe me? And so Jesus proved over and over again that His word could be trusted, that He indeed had the power of God, that He was the Son of God, that He did the works of God. And even if you don't believe Him, you better believe the works. And so that's what He says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3-4. through 4. He says, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various witnesses, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. All right, So we can trust Jesus' Word, right? Now the apostles, because that's the rest of the Bible, that's the New Testament. Can you trust the apostles? Because what if they just didn't want to look like idiots because they followed this man and then he dies, and so now they've just got to act like he rose from the dead because they don't want to look stupid. Right? So can you trust the apostles? Well, look with me if you would at Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. And here it's talking about the apostles. Verse 3, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness... What does it mean to bear witness? So God is going to bear witness that they're speaking the Word of God, right? All right, let's see how He does that. Who bore witness to the Word of His grace, and how did He do it? granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You ever wondered why we don't see the miracles that we read about in the Bible today? I mean, honestly, you can be honest with me. I have. I've looked at it and said, God, I read your Bible and I see all this stuff that you did, but I don't see all that today. Do you? So what's happened? Huh? We have the complete revelation. We have everything, the proof that God required for us to believe Him. God gave the apostles the power that they had. He gave the disciples the power that they had to do works like nobody... You remember when Jesus said uh, they were amazed at the works that Jesus was doing? And He said, you're going to do greater works than these. You're going to do greater works than these because you're going to spread the gospel to the world in the way that the world is going to believe that they can trust your word, Paul, Peter, John, Matthew. A way they're going to trust you is because the signs and the wonders come with it. God is going to bear witness that what you say, you can trust. Remember what John and Peter said when they met the paralyzed man at the temple? They said, hey, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And what happened? The man got up and walked. Uh, look Look at a few other scriptures. We ain't got just a few minutes. Look with me at Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. What does that mean? Nobody'd seen things like this before, right? You remember when Jesus told his disciples, Greater things are you going to do because I send you, because I go to the Father? You remember that? And see that we got so many. I used to be one of these guys. We got so many people that interpret that verse as if that applies to each and every one of us today. The point was this: Paul was going to go. You remember how all Paul went for the gospel? Him and Barnabas and um, uh, Silas uh, traveled all over the place preaching the gospel. How are they going to prove that the word that they speak is the word of God? God is going to bear witness and Paul, because he's going all over the place, is going to do extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And so what does that look like in verse 12? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Let's go to another scripture. Go with me to Acts chapter 5. Verse 12 through 15. Just so you know that what I'm telling you is absolute truth. This is, And again, all this goes back to how can we trust the revelation that the prophets got, that Jesus got, that the apostles got? How can we trust that what we have in our Bible today is indeed the Word of God? Because they proved it over and over and over again. So look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 15. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of who? The apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Again, God is bearing witness to who they are, right? to what they're doing. God didn't just expect people to just... God don't expect uh, us to hear the words of the apostles today, hear the words of Jesus today and go, yeah, yeah, I just, I believe it. No, He proved it over and over again. And I'll tell you how we know that the Bible is true about these miracles here in just a minute. But let me finish reading in verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And what happened? They were all healed by Peter's what? Just the shadow passes by. Now remember, they ran up to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, right? Now does that mean that Peter and Paul are greater than Jesus? Not at all. Not even close. But it shows us that God was bearing witness to their trustworthiness in them giving and proclaiming the revelation that God is giving them through the Holy Spirit And they are proving it. How? Because God is acting very, very powerfully in their lives and no one can look at what they're doing and say God is not with them. You remember what Nicodemus said to Jesus? He said, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the works that you do unless God is with him. Right? Now again, they didn't believe He was the Son of God, but He said, We know that you're from God because nobody... Can do what you do unless God is with him. And this is the kind of proof that they had. One more place. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's all I got time for. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just to finish proving my point. Chapter 12, verse 12. Actually, start in verse 11. Remember, because what's happening here is Paul is trying to have to prove to them that they can trust Him. Paul's having to prove to them that what he says is the Word of God, that he is an apostle of God. Notice what he says to them. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. And he's talking about the people that were, that were condemning him and the leaders that were stepping up in the church and saying, you can't trust Paul, you can't trust his word. But then look what he says, even though I'm nothing. But look at verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. This is the reason why when somebody tells me today that they're an apostle. Show me your signs, right? Show me the true signs of an apostle. You show me the true signs of an apostle, we'll sit down and we'll talk. Until then, no. Because the apostles were given the Word of God through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and their job was to do just like the prophets of old to give us the revelation. So there you have God's publishing system of how we got the Old Testament. And can you trust it? Well, can you trust Moses? You better believe it. Go back and read about him. He parted the Red Sea. Can you do that? Walked across on dry land. He brought water from a rock in a desert. He brought manna from heaven. I mean, shall I go on and on and on? But the point being is that with great signs and wonders, He proved you could trust Him. Um, The accounts of uh, Elijah and Elisha and all the prophets of old and Isaiah and, and all that they did, they proved over and over again that yes, the revelation that they received could be trusted to be from God. And you should believe it and you should follow it. And then Jesus He gives us, He speaks the words of God to us. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. God. And so Jesus comes and He gives us and lives out the Word of God in front of us, gives us His life, shows us what He does, shows us who He is, proves it over and over again. Then He commissions the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. And then we have the apostles' revelation that they give. And this is going to lead us into next week. Another part of the, uh, the, um, the publishing process is, if it did not have authority from a prophet of some kind that had proved to be a true prophet of God, if it did not have authority from Jesus Christ Himself or an apostle that Jesus selected and that proved to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, it did not get included into the Bible. And so this is what we're going to get into how it got published and how we got the books that we got. Is everybody on track with me so far? You see what I'm getting at? So, so far is there, and I've only touched the surface of it, but so far... Is there enough evidence for us to believe that your Bible is the Word of God? So far, there's enough evidence to believe that. Now we've still got to answer the questions. Has it been corrupted over the last 2,000 years? Has it uh, you know, uh, um, passed through many hands? So, so anyway, we've got a lot of questions that we still got to answer. Keep your, keep your little form. Uh, your little study guide. Put it in your Bible. Make sure that when you come back, you have it with you because you'll need it again. And uh, we'll pick up next week on the second part of the publishing process the inspiration that God gave when He gave the revelation. Any questions? You were talking about um, why don't we see any miracles today? Yeah. I think we do. I think y- yeah. We you're right. But what I'm getting at, I'm not saying that God does not still work today because we know that He still heals. We know that He still, um, he still does many miraculous things. But not like you see... When was the last time that we took a handkerchief that somebody had touched and, the, and everybody that touched it was healed? And everybody, The point being is that the kind of miracles that we saw the apostles able to do that, that we still want to see today the kind of works that Jesus did that we still want to be tapping today, they were there because it was God witnessing to their reliability. And so now that that has been established, and now that the Word of God has been established, that God has spoke first through the prophets, then through Jesus, then through the apostles, and He has given complete revelation from the beginning of creation all the way to the end. He has left nothing out. There is nothing more that God needs to reveal. Because who is going to come that can reveal something more than what Jesus revealed? You see what I'm saying? And so this is the reason why that when we look at the Bible, we believe that it started with Genesis, it ended with Revelation, and it is because it came from prophets, it came from Jesus, and it came from the apostles, all of which God said, here's how you're going to know you can trust them. And it happened exactly the way that he said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll, you they'll knock you down on the floor. Yeah. Amen. Hey and listen, I want I, I wished it was that way. Oh yeah. Do you remember the little girl in the You there? better believe I remember it. You better believe I remember it. Yeah. I mean I'm telling you, I, I and I have seen things over the years that I know that God still works mightily. But nothing like that today. Because right now Paul says we still grown in this body, eagerly awaiting the redemption of these bodies. So we got to see what the first fruits of that would look like when Jesus came and when the apostles were doing it, but we're not going to experience the fullness of that until He comes back.